Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. Yep, come on now. This is what happens when you take off your pack and get adjusted by a chiropractor in your office in between services. Yeah, obviously, the switch was not where it was supposed to be. But my back feels great, so it's cool. Um, also, just on a side note, if you're in my fancy football group, please stop communicating in the group me because obviously my phone does not block those and my wrist keeps vibrating and I have ADHD and I will not pay attention to my sermon and I don't want to get lost in my notes. So thank you. That would be awesome. So, like I was getting ready to say, my name is David, for those of you who don't know me, and I'm a little bit weird at times and get off on little tangents, but I'm glad that you guys are with us, glad that you're watching on Facebook if you're with us, and so if you have been with us for a while, you know that we've been preaching through Hebrews. Now, it's been eight sermons leading up to today, so we started the last Sunday of February, and we've really done our best to try to show this original intent of why the author was writing this to these Jewish, now Christians, who were struggling. Like they were struggling. They were about ready to just go back to Judaism. They're like, this is, this is too hard. I don't want to do it. And so his main thing, what he was wanting to tell them is, yes, I know you're growing weary. Yes, I know you're facing persecution. I know that this is tough. But going back to the rules and the laws and the festivals and all these things that you want to go back to will not satisfy you. Because all those things that you want to go back to, you think that are easier, are actually pointing you to the Jesus that I'm now telling you to put your faith in and just to go and rest in him. That's, that's what he was trying to do. That's simply put, that was it. He's like, I get your struggles. I understand that. But don't go back to that. All that was so you could look and say, oh, that's who Jesus is. I understand. He's Savior. He's Lord. And so for us and them, those truth, so who Jesus is, that we can look and see so far, these first four chapters, should let us rest in Jesus. That's what I spoke about last week, right? We just, we talked about, man, I should, we should rest in Jesus. We should find him restful. We talked about Sabbath rest and sitting at his feet kind of rest and just all around just seeing that Jesus brings us to a place of calm and of peace. But maybe right now you're like, I don't know. I don't know if I can go to Jesus. I've got the situation going on in my life, or I've got the sin going on in my life, and I just don't feel like I can actually go and find rest in him. Like, it just doesn't sound restful to me, because it, he's God, and who am I to go before God and say I'm going to find rest in him? Like, that seems kind of far-fetched, right? Well, it would, but we, if we understand who Jesus is and what he does in our place, it doesn't sound far-fetched. It sounds wonderful. It sounds amazing. It sounds truly restful. And so that's what the author wants to do here. Is he wants, he's built this case up to this point of verse 14 there in chapter 4, and he wants to just build it out more and, and let them see this is who you have mediating for you before God. I'm going to take you back to the Old Testament for a second, though. Because some of us, we don't maybe get the importance and the level of what it would look like to go before God. So if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you might know the story of Job. And for those of you who don't, I'm going to give you the, the Cliff Notes version. Job, the Bible says, was a righteous man. He was without blame. 
So this dude was good. And he was very blessed by God. He had seven sons. He had three daughters. That's huge in the Old Testament. I mean, he had seven sons. Those, those kids, those boys were going to be like, that's his retirement plan right there. They're going to take care of the land. They're going to take care of all the livestock that when he gets old and can't do it anymore. And then he's got three daughters that he was going to get some type of dowry back as he would marry them off. Like this is, he had it made. He had a wife and he had lots of possessions. But what happens is Satan one day, he notices Job and he goes before God because he's cocky and arrogant and thinks he can go before God all that he wants, and he could in this moment, but yet one day he won't be able to. And he says to God, Father, he says, hey, I've noticed your servant, Job. I don't think he really loves you. I don't think he really feels like he should honor you. I think he's just doing it because you've blessed him so much. And God says, no, that's not the case. And Satan just keeps pressing and poking, and God says, okay. You can do to him as you will. But he gives him some parameters. And so over a course of time, what you see is that God in his sovereignty allows Satan to come and to destroy Job's life. His seven sons and three daughters, they're dead. All his livestock, cattle, pigs, cows, whatever. Well, they don't have pigs. They're Jewish. So yeah, no pigs. My bad. Um, you get it, right? Livestock, killed, gone. All of it. House collapsed. Now he's sitting there with these three friends and his wife, and they're telling him all the stuff that he's done wrong that brought this on, which we, can, we get to peek behind the scenes. That's not the case. His wife's saying, just curse God and get it over with, so God will strike you dead, and you can just be out of your misery. He's got sores all over him. He's got, like, his teeth are all rotted out. Like, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. But he won't do it. But he does question God and say, like, why? Why is this happening to me? This is why we need a mediator, all right? So this is crazy to me. Like, in Job chapter 38, God answers back to Job. And I'm just going to give you just a few samples of that, of what he, like, starts to say to him. This is what it says in Job 38, 4 through 7. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding... Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Then he got, this is just another sample from 38, chapter 38, 12 through 13. Have you commanded the morning since your days begun and caused the dawn to know its place that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? That's just tiny, tiny portion of like three, I think four, three or four chapters that God answers Job. And he's like, can you do this? Can you do this? Where were you when you did this? He literally mentions if you ever ask me, where's there dinosaurs in the Bible? In Job, I think like chapter 39, he literally says, can you take a hook and grab it by its mouth and pull it out of the water? He's talking about a sea monster there. And this little Bible background for you, okay? Like there's dinosaurs for you if you were thinking, oh, I don't think they're in the Bible. Yeah, they are. Um, so he's questioning all this stuff and, and he, God's like, you can't do this. Like who are you to question me? And that's just an example of like what it would be like to try to go before God and argue your case that you were a good person and that you deserve grace, which it wouldn't even be grace at that point. You'd be arguing that you deserve forgiveness of your sins or that you didn't, my good outweighed my bad. You can't win the argument. He'd be like, you're dumb, literally dumb, deaf and blind. Like you cannot win. And so you're like, well, I don't know that I need 
a mediator between God? If you don't pick up on that, I don't know what else to tell you. Like, you need him, and in that, then you find rest. Because you can go before God now, because Jesus is there mediating for you. He's, take, he's taking care of it all. You don't have to try to go there and argue your case. You can just go and rest at his feet. And that, that matters. Like, that matters so much. And I want you to see that because that's what the author's saying here. He's wanting them to see that. So that's our, our big idea is this. Then, based off of all that, Jesus meets every need you could ever imagine, and he takes care of every need you don't even know you need. Think about that. Like, you, you have all these needs. You have all these wants, these things that, like, are going on. You know that they need filled. You know, like, you need food. You need sleep. You need a house. You need clothes. You need water to drink. He's like, and I got that. And then there's these things that you don't even know that you need. And yet he provides it. He takes care of it. That's why it's so restful abiding in Jesus. Because he's meeting needs that you can't even of yourself realize that you have. For me, as I look at this, it's so important that we don't miss like what verse 1 says. He, as being a high priest, he was chosen by God. But yet he's not like the other high priest that was chosen by God. Verse 1 of chapter 5 says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on the behalf of men in relation to God. But they were chosen from among men. Like, there's no rest in that. Like, there's no rest in, like, what they could really bring. They were just pointing to Jesus. They were just trying to make their sacrifices. It'd be like saying that you're going to find rest in me as your pastor. I believe that God has called me and appointed me to be in ministry to be one of the pastors here at this church. But I'm going to assure you, I am way too wound up. I am way too just neurotic. I'm moody sometimes. I'm self-centered. You're not going to find rest in me. Corey knows. He's like, Corey wants me to tell more about that. Not. You're not going to find rest in him either, though. <laughs> Andrea gets it. She's laughing. She knows. You're not going to find rest in Jeff. You're not going to find rest in Doran. You're not going to find rest in anyone in this room or anyone else. We're only going to find rest in Jesus because he, he's the only begotten son who is appointed. There's only one. There's no one else that can be appointed. So that's who's speaking on our behalf. And we're like, all right, well, that sounds good, but I don't know if I can like wrap my mind around it. Well, you don't know what you don't know. You just don't. Like, we really need to consider the significance and complexity of this whole premise of what this author is laying out. Because you don't know what you don't know. And so in verse 14 there, he says, since then, he's referencing back to all this stuff that he's already laid out, how great Jesus is. He's better than angels. He's better than Moses. He's this. He's that. He's, he's already built this case that he's the high priest. He wants us to see that. He wanted them to see it. And so in my mind, I'm always, like, thinking of things like, why didn't God send Jesus sooner? Like Adam and Eve, they sinned in the garden. That was it. Like the deal's done. Like there's no going back at this point. Like humanity was messed up. Sin entered in. He finds them in the garden. He talks to them. He covers them with an animal cloth because they were naked and ashamed now in their sin. Like why not just have Eve have Jesus? Like he could have done that, Right? He could have maybe waited like one more generation and took care of it within 100 years. But you know what he does? He takes 4,000 years from the point 
that they send to the day that Jesus is born. 4,000 years and builds out this whole case through people, events, laws, rules, commandments, all these festivals and sacrifices. Why? So that when these people in Hebrews that it's getting written to, they can have this whole thing pointing to Jesus. And they're like, well, why do I need a high priest? Let's look back at the past 4,000 years, and I'll tell you why you need a high priest. And so for us, even sitting here today in 2023, we can look back and we can say, oh, this is why we need a mediator. We don't have a high priest anymore, but we sure do in heaven. Like, we don't have an earthly high priest, but we have a heavenly high priest, a great high priest. And if you don't understand all the Old Testament, then you're not going to get it. And you don't have to understand it all and all its little intricacies and like, oh, yeah, I get all the little tiny theological ideas. No, that's not it. What I'm saying is that God, in his goodness, gave us 4,000 years. So then we can say, since then, we have a great high priest. That's so cool for me to like, just to wrap my mind around it. He was not just loving us in that he sent his son, but he was loving us in that he built out history to point us to his son. So he's a loving, gentle, patient God. But he's also holy, right? And so as I'm telling that story of Job earlier, I thought, well, man, God seems wrathful. He seems mean. But maybe, like, thank God there's Jesus there to calm him down. No, like John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So God in his love for us, he loved us first, so then we could then love him back, sent his son. But also, in sending his son, he built the case so that we could see who his son is and was and always will be. That's so good for us. Like, it's good for my soul to say, okay, I have a great high priest. I know what he can do because I can see what all of them were trying to do and failed to do it perfectly. So I have that now. I have that, and I can rest in that. But now that we can rest in that, and we understand the since then and the significance of it, like, okay, now I can draw near to this throne of grace. Well, it may be a throne of grace, or it could be a throne of judgment. So righteous judgment has been replaced, has been replaced by radical mercy. That's what we get to see here in this text, is that the, the throne of judgment, this righteous judgment that God has for us, and he would be right in doing so, has now been replaced by radical mercy. Because we're told that we can approach this throne of grace. And let me be clear. That is only for the Christian. That's it. You, as a non-Christian, if you're in this room or watching online, as a non-Christian, you cannot go before God. Like, physically, it's not impossible at this point. Like, you couldn't go there. But, like, you cannot be in the presence of him. Like, he would strike you dead in an instant because he's righteous and holy and set apart. And he cannot be in the presence of, your, of sin. And yet, it's saying that we can draw near. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Christian in the room, do you hear that? In your time of need. It's not like, hey, once a year, you can draw near. Twice a year. You get two tickets, that's it. In the time of need. The time of need might be small. It might be like traffic really, really just sucks right now, and I'm getting stressed, and I know I'm going to be late. And I just, I need, I need your patience, God, because I don't have any patience. Corey, 
messing with my head. I thought it was the football. I was going to yell at someone for football. <laughs> you can't, like, just think, oh, I, don't, I don't get to go to him. You can go to him anytime, anytime you want. Like, you can go and say, God, I need patience. I need love. My kids are driving me crazy. I don't know what to do. God, help me. You can go in that time of need. But it may be the more significant times, right? It might be, like, super serious and, like, everything's crumbling around me. I need to draw near to the throne of grace so I can receive mercy and help. Do we do that? Do we? Like, I don't know that we do, and yet we can do it with a confidence. We can do it with complete confidence. It's only because of Jesus, though, Christian. You can't do it apart from him. You can go to him and say, Jesus, I need this. He's there. He's mediating for us. But what gets us there. It says that if we hold fast our confession, well, what is a confession? Like, is it confessing that I did something? No, it's confessing in who he is. This is what Paul writes in Romans 10, 9, 9 and 10. It says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That's the heart of Christianity Right there, Jesus Christ is the resurrected Lord. Now, what he's saying, oh, Paul, you got to get this confession, really understand it, is that he's not saying that you could just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and, and that's great. Because he goes on and says, For with the heart one believes and is justified. That justification is the act of no longer are you seen as guilty of your sins, but you're justified in the eyes of God. It starts in the heart, it starts there. It doesn't start in your mind. It's not just something you say. It starts in your heart, deep down in you. Not your organ that's pumping blood and keeping you alive. It's in your very being of who you are. It's there that you've now got this faith that he's gifted you. He's given it to you. You didn't, you know, like just build it up yourself. He's given you this faith. And now he's saying that when you confess that with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's the confession that we hold fast to, that we cling to with our every being of us. So I want you to, to get that. Like, he's there for you. He cares. He's not looking to strike you down. He's not looking to punish you. That's not it anymore. He's wanting you to draw near and find rest in him. But it's a, it's a confession that we're holding fast to. Because if you don't truly believe that in your heart and confess it with your mouth, not that it's a magical, you know, password to gain you access to him, but it's about whether or not you truly believe that he's God, that he died and rose again. Because then, and only then, the blood of Christ covers you. So when God sees you, he sees his son. He sees you as pure and righteous and holy because of his son and what his son has done. So now you can go to Jesus with all that life brings you. And you're not like stretched, stressed out and concerned because he's given you access to him, access to the throne of grace. And Jesus, he's the perfect one to do it. Jesus is the perfect high priest in every way possible. Every way possible. This text lays it out. And there's two parts to this point. First, that Jesus perfectly fulfills the role and title of high priest. And then Jesus is the perfect high priest for you. That, that I'm going to get to in a minute, but I really want you to see it that he's the perfect high priest for you. But yet he perfectly fulfills the role and title of high priest. So let's just dig into this first part. Every high priest 
Like I've already said this, but I want you to hear it again. Every high priest was chosen from among men, sinful men who had the same issues that you and I have. Like they, they would struggle with all the same things. They would sin, and it was a mess. Some high priests that were chosen from among men were crooked and corrupt, and they would do bad things. They would take and eat of the sacrifices they're supposed to be making. They would sleep with women in the temple. They were stealing. They were just doing, they were just bad people. But yet, because of their lineage and their bloodline, they got to step into that role as being high priest, and they really used it for their own gain and for their own honor. Yet Jesus doesn't do that, because we see that Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So these men who were crooked, they couldn't do it, but yet Jesus does it perfectly. And he doesn't even appoint himself. Like I just read, he did not exalt himself. Jesus is so qualified, yet he did not exalt himself. He wasn't prideful, said, this is my title, bestow it on me, so now I can go and do my work, because I'm wonderful. He sits in humble servanthood to the Lord, and then the Lord bestows it on him. God the Father bestows it on him, says, go and do this work, and he does. He does it perfectly. So no one else can have the title as Jesus does, because he is the only one that can be chosen as the Son of God to be the high priest. No one else can have that. And then what we see is that he's appointed in this order of Melchizedek. Like, you think, well, what is that? Well, we're going to get to it, because he's designated in that, and I want you to understand all of it and, under, and really grasp it, because there's no other high priest that can come in this way. No other high priest, only Jesus. But not only is he qualified in that, it's that he was obedient, perfectly obedient, to the point of death. It says that he was obedient through what he suffered. Like he learned it. He was made perfect, not because he wasn't perfect, but he was made perfect through his death and res resurrection. And so he becomes the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Like this is big. This is what qualifies him. All the stuff that he's done, he does it perfectly. But then as we look at this idea of him coming from this order of Melchizedek is this, is that Melchizedek was this random guy who shows up in the Bible twice, I think. Once in Genesis, once in a Psalm. And you're like, well, what does he have to do with Jesus then? Well, let me, let me share with you. This is from Genesis chapter 14, verse 17 through 24. I'm going to read it to you. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you that name there you see with the C. Not going to happen. <laughs> I can't pronounce it. After his return from the defeat of Ched and the king. Huh? All right. Yeah, I'm not even going to try to do it. After his return from the defeat of Ched, he's talking about Abraham, who was not Abraham yet. He was still just Abram at this point. And the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom, went out to meet him at the valley of Shevev. That is the king's valley. And Melchizedek came, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men 
who went with me. Let Aner and Eshcol and Mamre take their share. So what we have is this guy just shows up on the scene. Like, there's more to it, and he just kind of poof out of nowhere, and he's there, and Abram is, like, wants to, like, honor him. He gives a tenth of everything to him. But here's the deal that what makes it different is that he was the king of Salem, which I was told before the service that that means he was the king of Jerusalem. And then he's also high priest. There's nowhere else in the Old Testament that you're going to find a king who is high priest. He's perfectly pointing to Jesus. He's the forerunner. He's showing you like there's going to come one day for all of eternity a kingly high priest. What have we been saying this whole sermon series that Jesus is Lord and Savior? He's the Lord because he's king. He's Savior because he's the high priest. Like God set all this up to point us to it. Like why would this random guy just pop up in Genesis so that you today can look back and say, oh, wow, God did all this for me? For me. I guess not just for you individually, but yes, for you. Like so sometimes some of us would say, well, God wouldn't save me. I'm such a sinner. I'm so horrible. He's not just saved you by Jesus' death and resurrection. He also built this out and put a guy, this random guy, Melchizedek, who I can barely pronounce his name, in the Bible just so you can see that there's going to be a kingly priest to come one day, who is Jesus. But then he goes on in Psalm 110. He wants to build it out even more. He had King David write this. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. In holy garments from the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You, speaking of Jesus, are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. There is no other priest forever. Every other priest died at some point, but not Jesus. He's alive. He will always be alive. He's never going to die. He can't. He's already defeated death. And so he's there. He's perfectly qualified. I hope that you're getting this because here's the thing. If you had to go before a judge, you would want the most qualified lawyer you could get. You don't want just some Joe Blow that you found on, you know, well, he says 1-800-LAW. Uh, I'm going to call that guy. He'll get me out of trouble. He might, but he might not. And you might end up in a lot more trouble than you thought you should have been in. You want the best qualified lawyer. Jesus is, the, is that, in a sense. He's it because he's mediating before the judge of all things for you. And now the cool thing is, though, is that he is the perfect high priest for you because he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you better than you could even imagine that you know yourself. And you think, well, no, I know everything about me. There's stuff that you don't know about me. There's stuff my spouse doesn't know about me. There's stuff my parents don't know about me. That's true. There's things about you that you don't even know, that God knows, because he created you. He looked at you, and he's like, I know everything about him. I know all that there is to know. And you think, all right, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, then when you draw near to him as your mediator... He gets you. He's not looking at you thinking, wow, that's, I can't believe they're struggling with that. I can't believe they gave into that temptation. I can't believe that they, you know, sinned in this way. I just, what happened? Like, no. He doesn't even see you that way anymore. He sees you as a son. He sees you as a daughter. He sees you as covered by his own blood. Like, he knows you've been adopted in. You're with him. 
And yet scripture tells us what he, said, what he is. He says, for we do not have a high priest, he's talking about Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And you might think, well, I don't know. I don't know if he's really been tempted like I have. Well, you're right, he hasn't. Jesus hasn't been tempted like you have. Because you want to know why? Because you and me and everyone else in this room, we gave in to sin and temptation. We gave in to temptation like five minutes in. We're like, oh my gosh, this temptation's overwhelming. I can't do it. Just forget it. I'm just going to sin. I'm just going to give in to my sin. Like, we know it. We might not want to admit it, but we give in to our temptations all the time, and we don't honor God. And Jesus never caved, not once. And so you're like, well, he doesn't understand what it's like to be tempted like I was. No, he understands even more. See, again, he knows you better than you know yourself. Because when he was tempted to elevate himself and to do whatever he wanted to do and have everyone look at him, he didn't do it. When he's tempted with anger, he didn't sin. When he's tempted with lust, he didn't sin. When he's tempted with greed, he didn't sin. He, looked at, he could have looked at everything in this world and been like, this is all mine. What am I doing? Being born in the manger and dealing with these people who are just acting a fool. He could have took it all as his, and yet he didn't, because he didn't act on that temptation. So when you're thinking, man, I don't know, God gets me. No, he gets you. He gets you fully, and he understands how messy you are, and he still loved you. He doesn't love you any more today than he will or used to or, or going to. Like, it's, this is it. Like, he loves you so much, and he knows exactly who you are. And then, even more so, like, he offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. So he knows what it's like to have to go to God for help. And you're like, well, he doesn't, he's God. He didn't need anything. No, he went to the Father for help, who was able to save him from death. Well, guess who's able to save you from death, from eternal death? It's Jesus. So like he knows, like when you come to him and say, I need forgiveness of my sins, I need to be saved from eternal death, he's not looking at you like, whoa, what a loser. He's like, wow, no, I get it. Because if I wasn't for God, the Father who raised me from, the, from the, the grave, I would be dead. So he gets it. He gets you. He suffered through obedience. He knows what it's like to be obedient and to suffer for it. He understands. And I think that should be restful for you. That should be restful. As I like, have worked through this the past couple weeks, because like, last week I, I preached on rest, and, and then this week, it's been like, one of those like about 10-day periods where I'd say like there's been a lot of good and then there's just been a lot of tough. There's hard stuff. But as I like process through it, there's been just a really good calm for my soul because I've been so like in depth into this, I, just, I had to like take it in. I couldn't ignore it. Even in the first service, like I was, this is what I was talking about last week. Like I, I stood there and I was getting nervous to come up here and preach. And I was like, ooh, it's weird. What's going on here? I'm getting kind of nervous. And I thought about it in that moment. It's like, because I said this last week, I, I'm type A, and I'm an extrovert. So like getting up here and talking in front of you does not make me nervous like in that sense, really, it's just because I don't care. I like people, so it's fun. Um, but then also in my arrogance and cockiness, like I think, I can get up there and do that. I can talk about it. And you guys make some jokes and laugh, and it's cool, and give you some good points. But then like staying there, I was like, oh, no. I'm getting ready to go handle God's word okay, like, that's the heaviness of it, and yet then, like, what that made me think is, like, I need Jesus, I just need Jesus, 
He's given me his spirit. I need him. And what I can do right now in my time of need is I can go to him with confidence. And then I can stand before you as people with confidence and proclaim his word, not because of me, but because of him. That's what it looks like for us in Jesus. It's like a practical thing. Like, I just like, okay, I need you. I stopped singing. I prayed. Just, God help me. And so, as we kind of wrap this thing back together and, and tie it up as this, is he's the most qualified high priest there is. He's the most qualified because of his accomplishments of who he is as God, and then also because he knows you better than anyone. And so today, I'm going to ask you guys to stand with me. If you're turning to anything else in your time of help or in your time of need for help, it's going to leave you restless. It's going to leave you a mess. You're not going to find it. But at G- with Jesus, you get to go to the throne of grace, and you do find mercy, and you find salvation, you find forgiveness, you find meaning and purpose for your whole life. Like to circle back to Job, he couldn't stand before God and have any valid argument at all. He had nothing. When God questioned him, he's just like, oh no, what do I do now? He had no answer. And yet, you have Jesus sitting there for you. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray together before we take communion. There's going to be some prayer prompts on the screen. I'm going to kind of lead you guys through them. And then the last one, we're going to pray out loud together. And these are just meant for you to just take some time to reflect on who Jesus is. If you're here today and you're not a Christian or you're watching online and you're not a Christian, I just want to encourage you, like, do you think you can draw near to him? Do you have that relationship with him? If you've never confessed him as your Lord and Savior, as Romans 10 talked about, that you've not believed in your heart, deep in your soul, that he died in your place and rose again, then as we're praying these prayers as Christians, then I would ask you, do you today want to confess Jesus as, as Lord and then hold fast to that confession? I hope that you do, and I hope that God is moving in your heart, in your soul, and that it's something that you do. But I'm going to ask you to bow your heads or not bow your heads because you might want to see the screen, but this is the first prayer prompt. You can just pray to God this. Jesus, thank you for not giving in to sin when tempted like I am with blank. You know what you're tempted with. You know what sins you struggle with that you always give in to, but Jesus didn't give in to us. Let's pray to him and just give that over to him. Thank him. Jesus, thank you for not giving in a sin when tempted like I am, just being impatient with people. Thank you for not giving in to the sin of, of anger. Lord, you were tempted to anger. People disrespected you, didn't do the things that they should do. They didn't honor you. And Lord, you did not give in. For So forgive all of us, God, of where we've just continually gave in to temptation, Lord. But thank you so much that you didn't so that we could have a high priest who does what you do for us. Next, for those of you who are Christians in the room, I'm gonna pray this. Jesus, we ask now that you please forgive us for not holding fast to our confession of you. Because that confession is that he is both king and savior. And at times we don't see him as one or the other, maybe as both. And then that would not be holding strong to that confession, now would it? So let us ask him to forgive us. 
Maybe you pray a more specific thing of going on in your life where you know where you've neglected him as one or the other. Jesus, we ask you now that you please forgive us for not holding fast to our confession of you. God, I know in my own heart, because of having just the idol of control, God, at times I won't see you as savior because I think that I can control the outcome. God, sometimes in my control idol, I think that I know best. And both of those are me not holding fast to confess that you are the risen King and Lord and Savior. Next, we're gonna pray this. Jesus, will you do, do what only you can do and draw us to your throne of grace? even when we try to help find help in things of this world. So often when we're in a need, when we have the, the world crumbling down, we will go to so many other things first. And yet we need him to tether us to him so that we will go to him. So let's pray that. God, in the midst of life, Jesus, I do, I pray and I beg of you, Lord, to just tether me to you, draw me to your throne. When I'm trying to find ways to be a, a dad or a husband or a pastor, a friend, a coach, whatever it is, God, I pray, Lord, that you just draw me to your throne and, and stop me in my steps so that I will just sit and I will just find help in you and not of anything else, Lord. Lastly, let's pray this one together. It's gonna to be on the screen. Let's go, here we, here we go. Jesus, together, we'll read it. You alone are the source of eternal salvation to all who obey you. Please, ready our hearts to obey so that we may experience your goodness of salvation. If you're here today and you're a believer, part of the ways that you can experience the goodness of salvation is to come and to take communion his body that was broken for you, his blood that was spilled for you. This is meant for the believer. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I'm asking that you don't take it, but that you really seek him and have him expose to you anything, any sin that you're like, oh, I didn't realize I had, and then maybe find salvation in him. So let's worship him by singing. Let's worship him by taking communion.